Hey, good morning, church family. It's good to see uh, those of you who are here in person, and thank you for those of you who are joining us online. We're a church with a lot of different locations right now, and those of you watching virtually, you are just as much a part of this church as those who are in this room, and thank you for staying connected to us. Uh, my heart this morning, just coming into the office, my heart was full of gratitude uh, just for the year. I mean, I, this has been one of the hardest years of ministry and work and life for many of us, yet the gratitude of how this church has cared for one another, the generosity that's flowed from you. This is a year that we will celebrate years from now that when we did the 901 offering and 316 offering, we far surpassed our goal. And it wasn't just because one or two people wrote checks. It was because so many family units and people stepped up this year. And thank you for how you've uh, taken on the challenge of uh, the red tubs that bless so many people in our community, as well as the Agape Christmas boxes. And there are a few more of those for you in person or virtual. Uh, there are a few more Agape Christmas boxes for you to get. I just want you to know as I head into this week how grateful I am to be able to call this church a church family and a place I get to work. And I'm thinking about many of you. This may be your first Thanksgiving and holiday season without a loved one. And this may be just a different week. I know some families. Uh, you are not able to connect with other relatives. You're not able to travel right now. And I, I just pray the blessings of God uh, on you this week. I know a lot of us have uh, fears and maybe some phobias in life. How many of you have a fear of public speaking? Just being on a stage, it freaks you out. A few of you. <laughs> How many of you have a fear of spiders? Anybody have a phobia of spiders here? Where you just want to like put your house for sale if you find one in your place? How many have a fear of flying? Do we have any people with fear of flying? Fear of heights? Any people fear, fearful of heights? A number of you, yeah. There's a, a, a fairly new phobia called nomophobia, which is a fear of losing cell phone contact, and, and which can freak some people out when you're driving down the road and at three bars, two bars, one bar, and then it's gone. And who knows when you're going to have uh, access to be able to text and check all that other good stuff. Uh, there's a, a one phobia that is called hypnophobia, and hypnophobia is a fear of sleeping. And I don't think there are many people who suffer from hypnophobia, but this is not just that you don't want to go to sleep because you want to stay up late and you don't want to miss out on fun times with family or friends or social media or Netflix binges. It's, it's not that. I mean, I don't like going to sleep because I don't want to miss out on anything that's happening. Hypnophobia is a, it's a real phobia for some people that if they go to sleep, what could happen when they are asleep? Could there be a heart attack or an aneurysm or who knows what could happen? And there's a real, there's real anxiety that a lot of people have to be medicated for this. And hypnophobia sometimes isn't just for people who are fearful of going to sleep. It's fearful. This is anxiety of having to wake up on the other end of sleep. And, and hypnophobia does something to your body like most phobias. And when it comes to our life with God and our soul, some of us don't do very well of resting in God at all. Because we have a pace of life and we're we live in a culture where you're trying to produce. It's all about production. And, and some of us in churches are full of people who, who have been baptized into Christ, have confessed the Lord of Jesus as the Lord of their life, but they're fearful of what it means to come alive in God, to live a courageous, adventurous life. So we've been in this study of 1 Peter. 
uh, for nine weeks. Today is the nine, ninth week of a nine-week series that we've called Resident Strangers, where Peter talks about being aliens and strangers in a world that uh, it's not so much this dis- disconnection from God, this vertical disconnection, but uh, so much social pressure that these churches were facing in the time that they were in. And as, as you come to the end of First Peter, here, here's one of the things Peter says. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Be sober-minded and be alert. In some of your versions, it's be disciplined. Like in your mind, be disciplined and stay awake. Like stay awake, be alert, pay attention. Have your spiritual antennas up that God is doing things around you. Be aware of what's happening around you. And this is a word, a phrase Peter uses multiple times throughout 1 Peter. And it's not a phrase that he just started using on its own. This is, this is a word, this is a phrase Jesus taught Peter years before. That Jesus is the one who would tell Peter, even in the garden, like, stay awake. It's not just don't go to sleep, but, but pay attention to what God's doing around you. Pay attention of what is happening around you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, toward the very end of Peter's letter, he writes this. He tells them why he wrote to them. With the help of one of his friends, it says, I consider this man a faithful brother, Silvanus. I have written this short letter to encourage you and to testify that the grace of God is true. And stand fast in it. Like, hold on to this. Don't let go of this. This is an image of if you're out there water skiing and you're holding on to the rope and you're deathly afraid of alligators and you know there are no alligators in the lake, but this could be the time there is one that's going to be right where you fall and you are holding on so tight because you don't want to fall. This isn't a loose grip holding on. It's that Peter is writing to encourage the church and to testify to the grace of God and then to encourage everybody, you cling to this with a deathly grip. And Peter uses this phrase, like, hey, stay awake. Uh, there are psychologists and there are articles you can read about good sleep hygiene. And there are those who say that good sleep hygiene is, you, it would be good for you if you could go to bed around the same time every night and wake up around the same time every morning, that there's a, a good rhythm in your life. And I, some of you may have that, some of you may not. Good sleep hygiene is it's probably not best for you to work out one to two hours before you go to sleep. It's probably not best for you to eat one to two hours before you go to sleep. It's not good for you to drink caffeine four to five hours before you go to sleep if you want to sleep well. Some say that you need to resist naps so that you can sleep better at night. And others would say naps don't affect how you sleep at night, right? Some say that if you want good sleep hygiene, you need to make sure your room is dark and cold. Which, Casey, that's why I think the thermostat should be on 66 degrees when we sleep at night. It's because I want what is best for you, baby. I want you to sleep really well. But here's what I also know. Is that you can be awake in life and not pay attention. You can be awake in meetings in your offices or whoever you work with and not be paying attention to your boss or employees or coworkers. You, you You can be awake in this sermon yet not be paying attention in this sermon. For students in the room, you can be awake... When you're in virtual school or you're in a classroom, yet not be paying attention to a teacher. You can be awake when your parents are talking to you, yet not be paying attention to what your parents have to say. And when it comes to worship time and prayer time and life with God, sometimes we can be awake and our bodies are moving and our eyes are open, yet we're not paying attention to what God's doing in us or around us. So here are the, a few of the last few verses. In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 through 9, it says this. Humble yourselves, 
And this is right after Peter gives a challenge to elders in the church. Right after he tells young people to submit to the elders in the church. Right after Peter says everybody needs to humble themselves before the Lord. In verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. That God, that he may lift you up at due time. Verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I know this has been a wild year. A couple of years ago, I was doing a sermon series, and, and I, I spent a couple of weeks where I talked about depression and anxiety and suicide. And one of those weeks, the image I showed you, that, so this happened a few years ago at Six Flags in Dallas, where I grew up. I grew up going to the Six Flags. This is a ride called the Shockwave. It has two loops on it. And a few years ago, for the first time in the history of the Shockwave, during the ride, it got stuck almost upside down, like right there on the side. You can see it on the screen. So these people are riding a ride, and the ride comes to a stop. Now, I don't know if you can see it up here, but it's, it's a 5.09 in the afternoon. If you've ever been in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in July or August, 5.09 in the afternoon, it is smoking hot. It's 95 degrees. And I think it's kind of funny and ironic, the Superman ride. You have Superman, like, overlooking, like, this whole little thing. I don't know if Superman's over there just laughing at what's going on, but these people end up end up upside down on this ride just for a few moments. And, and I don't know if this morning if that like freaks some of you out. Like this is, this is why you'll never ride a roller coaster. You'll never ride one again. This probably isn't going to happen to you. It probably is not going to happen to you ever. And if it did, I don't know what this would do for you. But I know that as some of us describe 2020, we could describe it like a roller coaster where there have been ups and there have been downs and there have been loops and there have been times we feel like we've been stuck upside down and other times it feels like it just keeps going in a loop and it won't stop, like the ride just will not stop. And I don't know where you feel today, but sometimes we feel in life like, man, this just got stuck upside down and I don't know left from right. I don't know how I'm going to get off. And Peter's writing to folks then who wouldn't have used roller coaster language, but he's writing to people. And one of the things Peter says in chapter 5 or 7 is cast your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. This uh, word cast, when you think about casting, a lot of us think about fishing. You think about a rod and a reel and casting out into the water trying to catch fish. But when you do that, you're still connected to what it is you were casting out there in the water. This is a word that literally means throw. You throw your anxiety on the Lord. Uh, the only other time this word is used in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 19, verse 35, when Jesus is on a donkey riding into Jerusalem. And it says, people came in front of Jesus and they threw, they cast their robes and their cloaks and palm branches in the pathway where this donkey was coming, which meant that they threw it down and they released it. When you cast something on the Lord, when they were casting these things in front of Jesus, they were throwing and releasing this isn't about staying connected to what it is you are casting. And this is a beautiful image of what we do with our anxiety and, 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 our, and our stuff going on in our lives it, is that we are throwing it at God. And when we do this, God does not reluctantly receive it from us. Like we serve a God who delights in you, who cares for you. So when we throw these things, our Lord is graciously receiving them. Now let me talk about anxiety just for a moment because there are forms of chronic anxiety. 
where people did not invite anxiety into their lives, it's just there and they deal with it. And the way we've talked about this even as a church is it is not a sin to be sick. And there are some forms of anxiety that are like a sickness. Now, there are some forms of anxiety that exist in your life, in your heart, and in your mind because you have allowed them into you. The way you have dealt with fear and the way you deal with worry is you have allowed it to build up in your life. Now, there are also healthy forms of anxiety in all of us. It's those things that happen in life when you're fearful or you're frightened or you're in a, in a stressful moment and your heart is racing and your pupils dilate and your senses are heightened. And there are soft, acute forms of anxiety, like when your taxes are due, or there's a test coming up in your life, or annual reviews are happening, and there's a little bit of stress and anxiety because of it. Now, a lot of times what happens in our lives, especially in the church, is when we hear somebody is battling with any form of anxiety, Philippians 4 verse 6 says, right, don't be anxious about anything. And this is a verse we often quote. And we, and we can uh, give this to other people when they're stressful. And it's a verse that the Lord has used to perform in our lives. But to help you understand Philippians 4 verse 6 just a little better, what, what Paul is saying there about anxiety is that this is a perpetual, continual form of anxiety that comes into someone's life. Paul doesn't want anxiety to set up residence in your home and, and, and in your life. And Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. You cast your anxiety on the Lord. Throw your anxiety on the Lord. And sometimes it's the church that comes alongside of other people to help us throw these things in the presence of God to just get rid of them, let go of them. They aren't yours to bear. A little over a decade ago, there were a, a number of reality shows. There are hundreds of reality shows. But some of the ones that have become really popular are about uh, fishing, out like deep sea fishing or shows like Deadliest Catch, which maybe you've never watched the shows, but I'm sure you've probably seen commercials about them. And this is a lucrative business. So there are people, usually they're men on these ships. They go out into the ocean where they can make a lot of money and spend days, maybe weeks out on these ships. And uh, just a few years ago, there were three ships that sunk just off the shore in New Jersey. All three of them had the same dock. So there was an investigation on how did this happen? How did the three ships from the same dock sink just a few miles after they left shore and went out into the ocean? So in the investigation, they found out there were no holes. There were no structural damage to these ships. All three of them had captains who had over a decade of experience of being the captain of a ship. So it's not that there was inexperience involved. What they found was for all of these ships, they were carrying 10 to 15 tons more weight than they were supposed to. So as they did more interviews with more captains of other ships, this just had become this normative act that their ships were carrying a lot more weight than they were supposed to. That The ships were carrying more weight than was the legal limit. It's just what everybody was doing. And because of this, three ships end up sinking. And I think there are people in the room and watching right now on a screen that you are carrying weight in your life that you were never meant to carry. 
And whether it's responsibility or forms of anxiety or maybe sin in your life, you're carrying things that God doesn't want you to carry. It was never yours to carry. And we carry them thinking we have the strength to do it. But sooner or later, it's going to sink you. It's going to sink us. And I think Peter's writing to these churches with so much love and faith in God that it's not what Peter wanted for the churches. It's not what Peter wants for them because Peter knows it's not what Jesus wants for them. So cast your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. And then right after that is when Peter says in chapter 5 verse 8, be alert, be disciplined, be sober-minded, stay awake, pay attention. Which is something he had received from Jesus. He learned from Jesus. And and I've taught for a number of years, and I think it's worth repeating today, that we are some of the most exhausted people who've ever lived on the face of the earth. And we are some of the most distracted people who've ever lived on the face of the earth. And I know nothing is impossible for God, but I think it's difficult for God sometimes to try to speak a clear word and to distract and exhausted people because we're not, a paying, we're not paying attention very well of what it is God may be trying to say. I think there are a lot of times God has looked at me in my life and has said, Josh, there is so much I'm trying to teach you right now, but you're not giving me the time of day. Like you're not paying attention at all. And Peter's writing to encourage and challenge. Hey, pay attention, like stay alert. And that verse ends by Peter referencing, hey, the devil, right? Your adversary. It's like a, like a lion who's hungry. is roaming the world, not just looking for a snack, but roaming the world looking for people to devour. Um, so Peter's trying to give a challenge that the enemy is on the move. And if you look at this in context... When Peter references the powers of darkness roaming the world, right before that is a word about humility. And it's a word about anxiety. And it's a word about staying alert, staying awake. And I want you to think about this in your own life. Humility, anxiety, and being alert, like staying awake, paying attention. Most of us, when we think about the things in our lives that we regret the most... Moments of bad decisions, moments when sin got the best of us and there were a lot of consequences that came with it, you were probably going against at least one of those three. Either you were not walking in a humble way before the Lord and in life, you had allowed anxiety to get get the best of you, or you just were not paying attention very well of what it is God's doing all around you or what it means to to live a righteous life. Sometimes I think all of us could say, man, there have been moments that I, I just all three of those, I've just not been in alignment with who God is. And the enemy is looking. The powers of darkness are roaming the world looking. Where, Even in the church, where are there people who are not modeling or living a life of humility or allowing themselves to be taken down by forms of anxiety or they are not paying attention at all? And that is when the powers of darkness become like a lion, looking for people, knocking on doors, entering into hearts, trying to devour. Now, the bad news is the powers of darkness are roaming the world looking for people who aren't modeling humility, who are taken down by anxiety, who aren't paying attention for him to devour. But the good news is God is also roaming the world looking for people that God can pour God's self into. God and the powers of darkness, God and the devil want to do something in your life about the anxiety that we experience. One wants to use it to devour us. One wants to use it to replace it with the peace that can only come from God. 
And then in chapter 5, verse 9, what Peter writes is they resist the enemy, like resist him. Which you read that, and I don't know if there are times you ever read the Bible, but this is, this is one of those places that I read the Bible, and it's like resisting him. And I'm like, Peter, can you unpack that just a little bit more? Like, is there like a five-step plan or a ten-step plan about resisting the enemy? It's just resisting. And maybe Peter's like tossing out to the church what Peter learned from Jesus. When Jesus taught people to pray in the Lord's Prayer, it was lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the enemy. It's just resist the enemy in your life. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. When we resist the powers of darkness, there are times we resist by what we say no to and there are times we resist by what we say yes to. And there are things today that we need to resist by what we are saying no to, that we're saying no to certain forms of evil and baggage and certain forms of sin or anxiety. There are things we're saying no to, maybe unhealthy relationships or emotions, and there are things we need to say yes to. Prayer is a form of resistance. Sometimes reading the Bible to know God better is resistance. Generosity and serving other people, it's, it's resisting. We're resisting by saying no and saying yes. And in chapter 5, verse 10, Peter gives this blessing. And I want you to receive it as a blessing today. Something some of you need to come back to this week. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And the message, it translates like this. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Dallas Willard's been one of my favorite authors for a number of years. He passed away just a few years ago. Dallas Willard's written a lot on spirituality and spiritual disciplines. Dallas Willard lost his mother when he, at a young age. And he would go on to write a story about a friend of his who also lost a mom at a young age. And that this friend of his, this young boy, had lost his mother and every night had trouble going to sleep. So this young boy would go into his father's bedroom and would ask if he could get in his dad's bed. But getting in the dad's bed didn't bring peace because there were times the young boy would get in the bed and the dad's back would be turned towards him so a lot of times what the young man would say the young boy would say is dad is your face turned toward me like is your body are you turned toward me and when the father would turn his body and his face toward the son the son could then rest in peace Knowing that the next day when they woke up, the mother was still gone. There would still be troubles in his life. But when he knew that his father's face, his body was turned toward him, it gave him enough peace to rest. And I want to encourage you today that some of you may need to ask that in your prayer time today with God. That God, is your, like, are you turned toward me? Is your face turned toward me? But I also think some of you need to hear this declared over you today. That the face of God is turned toward you. That for teachers and administrators and those navigating at the hardest school year probably of your life, the face of God is turned toward you. 
for doctors and nurses and those in the medical profession, the medical field, the face of God is turned toward you. For parents who are dealing with virtual school and, and, and just a school year that can be a challenge, the face of God is turned toward you. For those who have been dealt a year where there have been a lot of financial troubles in your life, the face of God is turned toward you. For those running businesses and working in businesses and working in restaurant industries, the face of God is turned toward you. For those grieving this year, the face of God is turned toward you. So today, let's lift up our heads and open up our eyes to a God who is on the move, who gives us the strength to resist the enemy and to step further and further into what it is God wants for us. Will you pray with me? God, we come with humble hearts. And I pray for my friends in this room or listening online or on a podcast, maybe later on this week. That as we can identify things in our lives that we need to let go of and we just need to throw on you, give us an image of a God who has your arms wide open to receive whatever it is we are throwing and that you don't only care about the stuff we're letting go of, you care even more about the person letting go of it. I pray you give the courage to people today just to release, to let go, set them free. I ask God that if there are any words that came from my mouth as I tried to work people through parts of 1 Peter today that did not honor who you are, that those words will just fall to the ground. They'll be trampled by you and they won't be remembered at all. But if I spoke anything that honors your truth, your mission, your character, your nature, may those words sink deep into our hearts and bear great fruit this week. I offer all this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.